If, you, if you've come in since we started, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, but I'm not going to be speaking today, which all of our regular folks are like, yeah, thank God for that. Uh, if you read my emails, you know that we have a guest speaker today. His name is Jay Hewitt. Yeah, see how they whoop it up about a guest speaker? Uh, my, uh, his name is Jay Hewitt, and I want to tell you a little bit about him before he comes up here. First of all, he was the founding pastor of Orange Friends uh, in Orange, Orange County, uh, connected to Yorba Friends. Not just the founding pastor, but the current pastor, and he's doing such a good work there. And, um, but a story you may not know is that Jay is a longtime mentor to our Jed Menemtim. So if you know Jed, one of the things I want you to know is this is one of the guys behind the man named Jed, which is super cool to know, and you're going to find out why today. And um, he's, he's a friend of Sunridge. He's, we've leaned on him through Jed and other ways for uh, questions that we had. He's spoken for us uh, before, and you guys loved him. Uh, you're going to find out today he's a brain tumor survivor. And, um, and he surfs. So because of all of that, especially because he surfs, I want you to welcome Jay Hewitt, Sunridge. Thank you. <laughs> so funny, <man. laughs> oh, it is good to be with you. You have no idea how good it is to be here. I love this church. This has been good for me to be in church this morning. Worship team, incredible. You know that your pastoral staff, second to none, right? Britt, Jed, Haley, Danny, it goes on and on. You guys have been blessed with a gift. And uh, Britt, that, that little mini sermon that you preached, that you are a child of God, that's all I need, man. I'm good. You are such a blessing. And so it is wonderful to be here with you today. Uh, I'm flying solo without my wife and baby girl, uh, but I wanted to introduce you to them via picture. So this is my wife, Natalie, and my daughter, Hero, H-E-R-O, sweet little name. And uh, Nico and Hero would go well together. Maybe we can do a little matchmaking somewhere in here. <laughs> uh, this is us in, in Ireland. We just uh, recently took a trip there. I went out to do a wedding, and then we took some time to travel. Here's us at the Cliffs of Moher. My daughter is less than impressed. She, she, <laughs> okay, you can take that down. It, it's awesome. You know, these last couple years ha have been difficult years, and so this, this trip to Ireland, God really blessed us, and getting to sing the words that your praise band has written, that I'm putting one foot in front of the other, man, that's been my life lately. And so to be able to give words to that, it just did well for my soul. And so I hope that already by this point in the service, God is speaking to you. He's blessing you. He's encouraging you. And then I'm here today because I get a chance to share my story with you. So I was diagnosed with an incurable brain tumor, but that tumor, by the grace of God, I have survived it. And it has changed the way that I look at faith and life. And so I'm here to share my story and to bring you hope and to help you believe in miracles again. Because what I have come to find out is there's kind of a spectrum of belief when it comes to miracles. Some people are on the side of total skepticism, and then some are superstitious on the very other side. And so I want to ask you this question. It's a question that I had to wrestle with with some time. It changed my life and my relationship with Jesus, and so I want to ask it of you. And before you just like blurt out an answer, I want you to sit with it and ask yourself, what do I really believe? You don't even have to verbalize it. Just keep it inside. I want to ask you, do you believe in miracles? 
not just the miracle of the past or that a miracle is going to happen again in the future, not that just miracles happen in some other part of the world to somebody else, but do you believe that miracles can happen in your life right now when you are in need? Because that is so important. And I believe that this quote is spot on, that some believe nothing is a miracle and some believe that everything is a miracle. Some people don't see God's hand in unexplained healing, impossible redemption, and some people see Jesus in grilled cheese. You can buy your grilled cheeses uh, sandwich press for $49.99 online. You can eat yourself a miracle every day if you wanted to. Seems legit. Seems worth the money. I'm just saying, some people see nothing as a miracle. Some see everything as a miracle. Where do you fall on that spectrum? I've got to be honest with you. I am hardwired to fall on the skeptical side. So I grew up in a family with no faith, no religious background, and actually we were very skeptical of everything. My dad in particular, he was like this close to being a conspiracy theorist where he found holes in everything and he trained us, especially with uh, claims of faith, to poke holes in things. And so with that being my background, after investigating Jesus Christ, as a teenager, I put my my faith into Jesus Christ, but I sense that I'm just hardwired to be skeptical. And so what I've learned in this past year or so, what we believe about miracles, it will determine the direction that we go and the peace that accompanies us along the way. So when you are faced with an impossible situation, an unsolvable problem, a crisis that's just out of your control, Your view of miracles will affect the direction that you go and the peace that accompanies you along the way. I found this out firsthand when I received a call from a doctor I had never met before. It was a Sunday afternoon, the light was soft, the house was quiet, until my cell phone broke the silence. And when I picked up the phone, on the other end was a neurosurgeon who was calling me on his day off on his personal cell phone from his home because he had received a scan of my brain. Now, I had to have my brain scanned, do an MRI, because out of nowhere, I started having seizures. It wasn't in my family history, uh, nothing uh, pointed towards this, I just started having seizures. Now, uh, typically when we think of seizures, we think of uh, somebody falls unconscious and then they convulse for a minute or two and then they come back to, and it is terrifying to watch that happen. In my case, it was a little different. I never fell unconscious. I was awake for every sweet moment of that seizure, and it was terrifying. Can I tell you a little bit about what a seizure feels like when you're actually awake to experience it? So it wouldn't knock me down. I'd be able to stay on my feet because I was aware enough, but there'd be this aura, this sense that it was about to come on. And all of a sudden, there would be an extreme amount of energy in my feet, and it would shake and shoot up my legs. And as it moved up my body into my stomach, my stomach would be, to- uh, would be tied in knots. And it felt like I was having an anxiety attack. And then it would come up higher to my heart, and it would start racing like I was having a panic attack. And then I could taste metal in my mouth, and everything went muffled. Every sound that I heard was muffled. And when the energy completely filled my body, there was this sense of being outside of myself. It was like I was trapped in a bad dream or a movie. I couldn't see the presence of danger, but there was a feeling of dread, like something was not wrong and it wasn't going to end well. The best way I can describe it is, have you ever seen Stranger Things? You know when they go into the upside down? 
That's what it was like. In that moment, for a minute or two, I was in the upside down, and then I would come back to, and all of my energy would just be completely drained. So you can imagine what that's like trying to parent, trying to pastor. I was having multiple seizures a day. So when the neurosurgeon called me, no matter how congenial his voice was, I knew it was bad news. And once I heard him say the phrase, brain tumor, I didn't hear a single thing more. Because that word is a thunderous word. It can't compete with anything else. It just dominates. And I was stunned when I heard the word brain tumor. And then it was almost as if God spoke directly to my heart and said, be strong and courageous. And I was able to focus in and look at what faced me and speak to the neurosurgeon over the phone. And I asked him, does this mean I'm going to need brain surgery? And he said, as far as I can tell, that's the only way to proceed. He said, let's meet tomorrow. We'll talk through it more. And I thanked him. A strange thing to do in that situation, I know. I thanked him, and I hung up the phone. I took a deep breath, and then I turned my attention towards my wife, who I was now going to need to deliver the same bad news to her. So I found the stairs, and I went up, and she was in our room. She just bought a new outfit. She saw me, and she said, good, I need your help. Tie these straps for me. So I went behind her, and as I tried to tie the straps, my hands were shaking too much. She was just talking about everyday things that you do, that you talk about, but she could tell something was wrong. She turned towards me, and then it just fell out. I just said, babe, I have a brain tumor. And we collapsed into each other, but God kept us standing. He kept us strong, and we decided that we would face this together. I knew that I would need her more than anything, and she was a champ by my side through it all. But standing there, your life changes in an instant, but you can't stay knocked down. You get up and you face what you have to face. And so we started looking for a qualified surgeon, which turned out to be harder than we thought. I met with the surgeon that called me the next day, and he quickly told me, Jay, I'm not the guy for your surgery. And then I met with another surgeon who told me the same thing, Jay, I'm not the guy for your surgery, and another surgeon, another surgeon. I kept going up the ladder until finally I found myself with an appointment with a renowned neurosurgeon. I watched his TED talk before I met with him, and I went down to Orange County to this uh, state-of-the-art facility right on the coast, and I went in the elevator, took it to the top floor, was shown back to the corner office, And there he was, overlooking PCH in a fine suit, grand desk, and I thought to myself, this guy's good. This is my guy right here. And so he sat me down, and he got the MRI that was sent to him, and he put it up on the screen, and for the first time, I saw a large lesion in my brain, and that was a terrifying image. And yet I found courage because he was confident, and he said to me, the first surgeon to say this to me, he said, Jay, I can help you. Let's schedule a surgery. I'll call you tomorrow, and we'll put it all down in the books. And I left that place feeling good, pumped up, feeling confident. And then the next day came, and he didn't call. Another day came, went by, and he didn't call. On the third day, he finally called me, and he said, Jay, I'm not the guy to perform your surgery. He said, there are only five surgeons in the world that are qualified to even attempt this surgery. He said, I know one of them, and I got you an appointment tomorrow. If you can get on a plane and get up to San Francisco, he's willing to take you on. So I did what you would do. I got a plane ticket to San Francisco, and I went and saw this guy. And I went uh, down to the -the state-of-the-art facility. I got in, top floor, back to the corner office, overlooking Golden Gate State Park, and I thought, we'll see. We'll see if this guy's got anything to offer. 
And when the neurosurgeon came in, he had a, a presence to himself that was steady, not worried, not hurried. He was kind, but not particularly warm. He took off his doctor's coat, and he sat down, and he took out a model of the brain, and he started to explain to me what I was really dealing with. He told me that I had a type of tumor called an oligodendroglioma, and he told me that this type of tumor, uh, it's resistant to radiation and chemotherapy. Chemotherapy, radiation doesn't even slow it down, so it would need to be removed. But then he told me that this type of tumor, uh, it's not like a cyst-like tumor, but instead, it infects the actual brain tissue, and so portions of my brain would need to be removed. He went on to tell me that the majority of my tumor was on the temporal lobe, this outside lobe on the right side of your brain, and he told me this is good placement. He can take half of that lobe away, and I'll still be fine. Isn't that crazy how that works? That's nuts. But then he went on, and he told me why all the other surgeons had turned me down. He said that the tumor reached into the very core of my brain, into a region called the insula, or the eloquent cortex, is what they refer to it as. This affects your speech, it affects movement, it affects critical uh, thinking, and your ability to connect with other people. This is where you get your personhood from in your brain. And so this is a very dangerous place to go in and remove brain tissue from. And then he told me that it's also very difficult to get into, that the only way to get to it is through a small crevice between the frontal lobe and the temporal lobe. And so it's also guarded by all these big major arteries that you don't want to break on your way in. So what he was telling me is that he was going to have to do the equivalent of Luke Skywalker's epic flight through the trenches of the Death Star to destroy the reactor core. That's what was going to have to happen. And if that doesn't sound sci-fi enough for you, just wait. It gets worse. He then went on to tell me that he would like to keep me awake during this surgery. I know, seriously, imagine if you were me hearing that. I was like, wah, and I went white. And he could tell, uh-oh. And he said, Jay, don't worry, don't worry. Just pressure, no pain. He said, there's no pain receptors on the brain. He said, we don't even use anesthesia and anesthetic. It, you'll be fine. We'll put some localized lidocaine on your scalp to make sure you're good, good there, but other than that, you're, you're fine. And I was thinking, okay, even if, <laughs> even if, when I wake up, I'm worried I'm going to freak out because it feels in that moment like, okay, I'm going to be aware that somebody's removing portions of my brain. That sounds like a panic attack waiting to happen. <laughs> sounds like being buried alive in some sorts of ways. And so I said, what happens if when I, you wake me up, because they put you under for a moment to get in there and then they wake you up. What happens when you wake me up if I freak out? And he said, don't worry, Jay. Don't worry. We'll keep you in a dreamlike state. It's like you'll be totally calm, just lucid enough that we can ask you questions so that you can respond to us throughout the surgery as we test different portions. Because what they would do is they'd take an electrode and they would be able to push on different parts of my brain and ask me a question so they know how I would be affected once they remove that portion of brain. And he said, you won't even remember it. You won't even remember it. So I looked at him and said, I'm not sure. And he said, well, I can do it with you asleep. It's not as safe as being awake. It's up to you. He said, let's do this. Let's schedule the, the surgery for a week from now, and then you go home and you decide if you want to do it awake or asleep. So I said, okay, that sounds good. 
got on a plane, went back down to Orange County, and then I did the same thing every single one of you would have done. Googled it. I straight up Googled that. And look, I stayed away from those sites that make it seem worse than it, than it is, and I found medical journals that tell you how bad it really is. And so I found this one medical journal that described my exact situation. And uh, I want to read to you uh, what I found here. A woman by the name of Nancy Bush uh, says this, very straightforward. There is no cure for grade two oligodendrogliomas. Radiation, chemo won't work. And this type of tumor, if any of it remains, if even just a portion, 1% of it remains, then I would have four years at the most to live. So the stakes were very high. And uh, the only way to survive a brain tumor like this, then, is to cut it out completely. So Dr. Nancy Bad News Bush, she continues, <laughs> the feasibility of full resection, getting it all out, depends on the location of the tumor. The eloquent cortex is a very challenging location. She goes on. This is like the worst medical journal I've ever read. It goes on and she says, when the tumor is in the eloquent cortex, it's important that patients be treated in expert centers where they can have awake mapping. And it was like, as I read this, combined with another article that was published by my actual neurosurgeon, where he was able to predict with almost 100% accuracy that if this tumor was in this portion of my brain, in this specific quadrant, he was able to predict, and peers have reviewed and confirmed, that he would be able to get 80% of the tumor out. I didn't need 80%. I needed 100%. And I was left with this decision of, is the surgery even worth it? All the risks that are involved, my quality of life after, is it even worth it? But you know, when you believe in miracles, it does affect the direction you go. And it also affects the peace that accompanies you along the way. And at this juncture, I was able to make a decision because I had other people praying for me. Now, I had over 100 seizures by this point. So my prayer life was non-existent. I couldn't concentrate. I had no energy for that. But other people started praying for me. The word got spread, and thousands of people were praying for me. And this peace came over me. It was that peace that transcends all understanding, that truly guards your heart. And it's a peace that it had nothing to do with me. Sometimes the Holy Spirit that's in you allows you to grasp things that are beyond you. And this peace was far beyond me. It reminded me of the story where Jesus is with his disciples and they're out in this little fishing boat, this unstable fishing boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and the winds come up and a huge storm is upon them and their lives are threatened. And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and he says to the waves, peace, be still. And then the wind dies down and everything is calm. It's as if in this storm in my life, Jesus came near to me and he rebuked my soul and he said to my heart, peace, be still. And all the worries disappeared and everything was calm. Now, I am not describing, I am not describing a man who just couldn't face what was in front of him. I knew very well what was expected out of this surgery. I knew that they weren't expecting to get 100% of this tumor out. I knew that there was a possibility that my quality of life would be diminished. But I also knew that from the point in my life when I put my faith into Jesus Christ, I was a high school student, 
Jesus has been with me all along the way. And in this trial, I could feel him closer than I'd ever felt him before. So I knew that on the other side of the surgery, who knows how it's going to turn out, but I knew that Jesus would be with me. And that gave me the peace that I needed to make the decision to take a step forward. And so we scheduled the awake surgery, and a week later, we were back up in San Francisco. My family came up with me, and the night before the surgery, I slept like a baby. I should have tossed and turned. I shouldn't have been able to get any sleep. But there was a peace that was accompanying me, the peace of God, Holy Spirit guarding my heart. And I slept well. And when my alarm went off the next morning, I awoke and I was ready to get out of bed. When we went to the hospital, of course, there was a seriousness to the day, but there was also a lightness that comes with hope. They brought me back, put me in that silly little gown, and then allowed two people to come back, my wife and my pastor. And as we talked, we joked around a little bit, not that nervous laughter, but the laughter of a man with hope. And as the neurosurgeon and his team came to me, my pastor put his hand on my shoulder and he prayed for me, a prayer that he prayed many times. Lord, heal this man. And then my wife kissed me and I got on the gurney and he pushed me back. And they were about to put me under and as we were rolling and they were about to turn on the gas to take me down, I said to the neurosurgeon, don't worry, we got thousands of people praying for you. And he laughed. Actually, he didn't laugh. I thought it was funny. <laughs> he just said, that's good, Jay, that's good. And I was out. And now, while I was unconscious, unknown to me, they made an incision in my scalp, they folded the skin forward, and they took a chunk of skull out, much like you do to a jack-o'-lantern this time of year. And then, once they had it all ready to go, they woke me up. And the first thing I, I remember waking up was a searing pain. It's like I'd been scalped by a tomahawk, and I yelled out, I screamed out, and I hear the neurosurgeon say, lidocaine. <laughs> and I feel this cold wash come over my scalp, and sure enough, the pain goes away, just pressure, not pain. It goes away, and then I realized everything's crystal clear. This isn't a dreamlike state. The adrenaline of the pain brought me right out of that dreamlike state. And uh, so I had this thought, well, my doctor's a liar. <laughs> no pain, he said, dreamlike state, he said. My second thought, though, was this is pretty cool. There's only a small portion of the population that has had brain surgery and was awake for that surgery. But I don't think any of them remember it. I have searched for testimony. I can't find anybody who re actually remembers the surgery. But I was wide awake. And I was looking at these surgical lights. They were so bright and so pure. And they were illuminating with this hyper-reality this surgical team that was attending to me with hypervigilance. They were rushing around. The anesthesiologist kept coming down to me, checking my pupils. I could see over to the side there was a large uh, computer that was mapping my brain in real time, and a full team was attending to that. They were communicating all over the place, rushing around. And then I heard behind me, above me, unseen, my neurosurgeon say, Jay, how are you? And I said, I'm good. And I really was. I was calm, I was good, I was kind of excited that I got to be here for this whole thing. And he said, I need to test some, some things to make sure the preoperative mapping is correct, so let me 
put some pressure on your brain and you tell me where you feel it in your body. And so he pressed with his electrode on the right side of my brain and I told him, I feel that in my left hand. And he pressed again, I feel that in my left foot. Then he said, tell me if you feel this in your mouth. And he pushed down and I felt like my tongue just expanded. And I said, yeah, yeah, I feel that. I can, <laughs> that's crazy. And he said, okay, good. He did some more tests and then he said, all right, Jay, we're ready to get started. And then louder than his voice, I heard snip, snip, snip. My open cranium was like a concert hall reverberating with the acoustics of every cut. Every surgical tool was amplified. I could hear the spinning, the slicing, the snipping. I heard it all with crystal clarity. And I could tell that he was working on this outer region of my brain. And then I could tell the moment when he transitioned from the outer region into the interior cortex, the eloquent cortex. And I remember thinking, this is it. This is what matters. This is where the high stakes are. This is where I need my miracle. And I was calm. I was okay. I had never been so out of control in my life. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't move, and my, hand, my life were in another person's hands. But I knew that Jesus was with me, and so I was okay. And so the surgeon went, dove deep in and did his work, and after two and a half hours, he said to me, all right, Jay, that's enough. That's all we need you for. And I was exhausted. So when he told me he was going to put me back to sleep to finish up, I was elated. So he put me to sleep. I had no idea what would be awaiting me on the other side. He put me to sleep, and then it seemed like an instant I woke back up. And the first thing that I saw was my beautiful wife. Not the walls, not the bed. I couldn't tell I had a bandage on. I could just feel her presence so loving. And then she said her first words to me. She said, Jay, he got it all. And in that moment, an angel delivering miraculous news, it was relief, it was victory, it was life, all within a moment. And my heart said, praise be to God. And I recovered in San Francisco for a week and then they put me on a very uncomfortable plane ride back down to Orange County. And I was in bed for a month recovering. And as I recovered, I struggled with a question. What happened to me? Did I just experience good science and a really good neurosurgeon? Or did I experience a miracle of God? Now, a month after the surgery, I would be going in for a follow-up MRI. This was very important because the neurosurgeon with his naked eye looked down on my brain and proclaimed that he got it all, but there could have been swelling. He wasn't 100% for sure, and so this appointment coming up would confirm it. And so I went back to that renowned surgeon in Orange County, the one that referred me up to San Francisco. A month later, I went to his state-of-the-art facility. I got in the elevator, hit the button for the top floor. They showed me back to the corner office overlooking PCH, and there he was in his nice suit. And on the screen was the original MRI, the one that he showed me in his office before. And when I walked in and he greeted me, he said, well, let's take a look. And he took out the next MRI, and he put it up on the screen. Now, I can't read an MRI, but I could read his face. And what I saw was complete 
awe. He looked up and he pointed and he said, Jay, that's perfect. I could have never done that. And it's like God brought this moment of confirmation to me. He brought me to the foot of the cross, to the picture of Jesus being crucified, the Roman centurion standing guard, people passing by mocking him. And in the middle of the day, the sky goes dark. And when Jesus finally breathes his last breath and gives up his spirit, the whole earth shakes. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 27 at that moment. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. It's like I was transposed to that moment with my neurosurgeon looking up and saying, this is perfect. I couldn't have done this. And the wisdom of the Holy Spirit confirmed on my heart that nobody could have done this. Truly, this was the hand of God. And from that point forward, I have been assured 100% that our God is a healing God. He's a concerned Father, and He is not relinquished to the heavens. It's not like He can't break that barrier, come down, touch us, heal us, fix us, provide for us, redeem us. And because He can do that, we can pray bold prayers. We can take steps of faith even when we don't know what lies on the other side. We can take those steps knowing that he goes with us. And so today, I don't just ask you if you believe in miracles. I also want to ask you, do you need a miracle? Do you have a situation in your life that is just completely out of control? It's so chaotic. You've got a a situation that's impossible, a problem that is completely unsolvable. Do you need a miracle in your life? Maybe you've got some kind of medical problem that the doctors just can't figure out. Or maybe your condition has no cure, it's progressed past the point of having any hope. Maybe your family is just drowning in dysfunction right now. You're treading water, barely keeping your head above water, not sure how long you can go on. Maybe you're upside down in your finances. Something happened in your life where your life was just capsized and you need God to reach down and rescue you. Our God is able and our God cares if addiction or anger or anxiety has wrapped you up and is pulling you down. Our God can lift you up. And he asks you, will you cry out to me? cry out to me. Listen to his words that he speaks to you right now. In Jeremiah 29, 12, your heavenly father wants you to know, when you call on me, when you come and pray to me, I will listen. And Jesus wants you to know, with God, all things are possible. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So no matter what you're facing, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. My story, my miracle It wasn't just for me. It's for all of us. I know that the reason that God allows miracles to happen in this world is because he wants to strengthen people's faith and he wants to inspire people to faith. And so if you're here today, maybe you came in a place of doubt or maybe you're just tired and discouraged and you feel like God is not showing up, find encouragement from my story. May God speak to your heart and tell you, be strong and courageous. I am with you. I am with you even in the waiting. I will be with you to face whatever you have to face, and I will be with you on the other side. Be strong and courageous. Be strong. Be strong. 
The purpose of miracles is found in John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We're going to let all of this sink into our hearts. And I want you to ask yourself, do you believe in miracles? Do you need a miracle? Are you willing to call out? Some of you need the miracle of salvation today. You walked in undecided about Jesus, and whatever doubts have been plaguing you, maybe God is using my story to help you take that bold step of faith and declare your trust into Jesus Christ. You'll have an opportunity to declare that in just a moment. Some of you need to pray bold prayers. For whatever reason, you become too afraid to actually speak those prayers out loud, to tell others and ask others to be praying for you. You too will have the opportunity to be prayed over in just a moment. But let's stand together. Let's sing praise to our God and let him take these things that we just heard, cement them in our hearts, and then I'll come back up and we'll pray together.